Uh, we're going to read our passage from Matthew chapter 5. Um, as we wrap up our series, we're going to be looking at how relationships last. We're going to look at uh, kind of a hard passage, but I think also we're going to see a very hopeful passage. And so this is what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 37. Jesus said, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard, it, heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes be mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true and authoritative for our lives. I thank you that your word brings life and hope. And God, today I pray that as we just talk about how to make our most important relationships matter and last, I pray that you would help us to see our part in those. Help us to see where our relationships are. Help us to see um, how we have gotten our relationships to where they are and what we need to do as we just explore how to be the better half in your name. Amen. Well, you can have a seat. You know, so as we're going through this series um, on the better half, we've been looking at relationships. And the lens we've been looking at it is from the perspective of our role in relationships. Now, Typically, when we get frustrated about relationships, we're frustrated about the other person, and we have a laundry list of things that we want the other person to do, the things that to be a better friend, if they would just respond back to our texts a little bit faster, that would make them a better friend. Um, in our marriage or in parenting, we have all of these things that we want the other person to do, but the problem is we can't make them do it. And part of the problem, as we're going to see today, is one of the reasons we struggle in relationships is because we don't know where our most important relationships are. We, we very rarely take a step back to evaluate our most important relationships to ask ourselves, how are we actually doing? Are there any kind of steps that we can take to know where our most important relationships are in life? Like how healthy is, are your work relationships? How healthy are the relationships at school with your friends or teachers? How healthy are your relationships within your immediate family or your extended family? And so we rarely take a step back. And the reason is, is because let's be honest, starting relationships is way more fun than maintaining relationships. It's so much more fun to begin relationships, right? If, you've, if you're married or, or been married, I mean, think back. It's so, it's so fun to meet somebody and start dating, like, there, all these things are new, right? You're falling in love. If you're in high school or in college, I mean, you're just, it's so great to meet people. And because when you meet people, you get to decide the kind of person you want to present to them. You get to decide, like, whether or not, am I going to really be truthful here, or am I just going to, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure I always look great, right? There's kind of, like, a big step in a dating relationship, especially for men, I don't know for women, but especially for men, when you see her without makeup, that's like a monumental moment, right? Because it's fun to start relationships. It's fun to start things new. And I love what Andy Stanley says. He says that falling in love only requires a pulse. 
That's all it requires. It just requires a pulse. It doesn't require very much, but making friendships last requires something different than starting friendships. Making a marriage last, making a parenting relationship last and stay healthy as kids grow takes some different muscles than just starting out a relationship. And the thing is, is that we're really good, most of us, at starting relationships. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus actually lays out a vision for living in the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded message that Jesus gave in the Gospels. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what Jesus is showing us is very, really simple, is how to flourish, how to thrive as humans. That is the message of the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus' plan, what Jesus' vision for us to thrive when it comes to money, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to how we interact with the opposite sex, how to thrive and flourish in life. And really, how to flourish, as we're going to look at today, in relationships. And so Jesus is showing us this is what it looks like to flourish. Now, one of the questions that was presented by the Pharisees numerous times to Jesus had to do with marriage and divorce and adultery. We'll look in a couple of weeks that there was a story in the Gospel of John where, where a woman is caught in adultery and they bring her to Jesus and say, what should we do? Here's what the law says, what should we do? Now notice, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, there's no guy with her, it was just the woman. And Jesus has some really interesting responses to the Pharisees. And so as he starts off, he starts off in verse 31, he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. Now, when Jesus is starting the Sermon on the Mount, he's continuing a conversation that began earlier somewhere. And so Jesus says, hey, you know, we were talking about this. The Pharisees have asked about this. This is what the law says. This is what the law of Moses says. You've heard it said. But verse 32, but I tell you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And everyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And, and so when Jesus answers these questions, and it, and it happens all throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees come to Jesus, people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, let's talk about divorce. And Jesus says, no, let's talk about relationships. So Jesus changes what the context of the conversation is about. Because throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, the law says this about divorce. What do you think? The law says this about adultery. What do you think? Now, here's the thoughts of the first century. This is incredibly important to this context. In the Jewish rabbinical schools, there were two thoughts when it came to marriage and divorce. Divorce could be granted only in the case of sexual immorality was one school of thought. In another school of thought, divorce could be granted simply because a husband stopped liking his wife, she burned dinner, she did something he didn't like. And so you had these two schools of thoughts that competed. Now, as you start to see the dynamic, especially if you're a woman, there's not a place for you 
to move forward in divorce if there's any kind of adultery or any kind of abuse or anything like that. And so Jesus says, okay, I understand that you want to talk about divorce, but Jesus says, let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about what it means to be committed in a relationship. Let's talk about what it means, what that actually looks like, which is a different conversation than what the Pharisees want to have. It's a different conversation than what they want to have. Now, even in our culture, many times, when, it, when we talk about relationships, it, let's just take friendships. It's very easy for us to look at friendships through the lens of, well, it just kind of faded away. And friendships fade away. That happens a lot of times. Friendships, as much as we don't want to admit it, are a case of proximity. And, and so Jesus says, okay, let's talk about this. And, and here's the reality. You know, I remember a few years ago in Tucson, we preached through the book of Malachi. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that in Malachi, there's a verse that says God hates divorce. And one of the questions that came up at our run-through this week is just how, how do we handle that in our culture? How do we handle that verse as followers of Jesus? Now, what's interesting about Malachi and throughout Genesis to Revelation is that nowhere does it say that God hates people who are divorced. What God does hate is what divorce and broken relationships do and what they bring about in our lives and what happens in the grieving and the loss that we walk through. And here's the thing, especially as we see throughout Scripture, especially as we see Jesus coming alongside of those in broken relationships, is that Jesus grieves with those who grieve in broken relationships, that Jesus walks alongside of them. And so this is why Jesus, when he gets to the end, he says, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Well, what does that look like? How, do we, how does that play out in our relationships? I mean, we looked a couple weeks ago at, at reconciliation. And what does it look like to forgive somebody? What does it look like to reconcile with somebody? What does it look like to move forward? And this is why this verse, I think, right here is one reason why um, marriage vows, the part of the wedding ceremony when vows are taken, is such a, an incredible moment, right? It's this moment where everything gets really quiet. Everyone kind of leans in, especially if the couple wrote their own vows. Like they want to see, you know, what, what are they going to say? I mean, I lean in sometimes to, to hear like if they're going to mess up or something like that. I'm really interested to hear what they have to say about their vows. But if you're married, I mean, you sit there and, and, they, and they're saying, you know, for better or worse, for richer or poorer. Do you know what they're thinking? The couple, because you, on your wedding day, you were thinking, I was thinking the same thing. I'm thinking for better, for richer, for health. Right when, when I became a parent, I thought, you know what, this, this is going to be fun. That's what we think. Right, we take a job, we become friends with somebody. This will be a good time. We're not thinking it's going to be hard. We're not thinking they're going to change. We're not even thinking we're going to change. We go, this will be great. Right? I mean, just imagine the couple. They're, they're in their dressed to the nines. They look great. They spent thousands of dollars just on flowers. Perfect song. They're crying. He's crying. I mean, he's just a blubbering mess. And there's something solemn there. And this is why, this is why Jesus holds relationships in high regard. And this is why 
the breaking of relationships is is so painful on us. It's so painful on us. But the thing is, is what happens in a relationship if the other person changes? What do you do? What do you do if your spouse changes? What do you do if you change? What do you do if your friend changes? What do you do when your child changes or your parent changes? For inexplicable reasons. See, I love what theologian Stanley Howard says. is one of my favorite quotes on marriage. He says, for marriage, being the enormous thing it is means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. And that applies to all relationships. Because you've ever noticed that, that throughout a year, you maybe look at your spouse or look at your friend and go, you seem different. Like what happened? Like all of a sudden, there's kind of this evolution to our lives. There's life stages that happen. There are things that shift in our hearts. All of a sudden, we feel different about our bodies, and so that impacts how we interact with other people and how we respond to other people. We're getting less sleep, and we have, you know, aches and pains we didn't have before, and so that, that's really kind of like changing how we do things. And now all of a sudden, you know, our hormones are, are starting to move in different ways, and we're going, man, this is like, I don't, why can't I sleep? Like, I'm really tired, and then I'm like really angry all the time, and then I'm hungry, and like, then I'm crying, and like, I don't know what to do. You know, and, and then the guys are like, well, I don't know what to do with her either. And like, you know, like, and, and so we look at the other person and, and I've sat across the table from countless people and they've said to me, you know, the person I'm married to right now is not at all the person that I married. And I'm like, yeah. Like, but it's also kind of shocking to us. Like our, our kids had their first school dance that they ever went to because we homeschooled them throughout their lives till we moved here. And I stood there this past week, and I'm like, I'm really totally not prepared for, like, this change. Because I stood there, and I was like, now my son's taller than me, and, like, this is, it, it's a different relationship now. And here's the thing. When the relationship shifts like that, we're caught off guard. When the person changes, we're caught off guard. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think we don't step back to ask where our relationships actually are. And for us to get to the place in relationships to hold to commitments we, we make to the other person means we have to take stock of where we are. We have to take stock of where things are. Now, a few years ago, I was leading a cohort of small business owners and church planters. And uh, every month we would get together, we read books together, we talked through case studies together. And one of the books that we read through that created enormous amount of discussion is a book called Predictable Success. And if you're a business leader, you maybe have read it before, but it goes through the life cycle of organizations. Now, what was fascinating as we were discussing this book, I had read it numerous times before I led this group through it, is that there's a graphic that's going to come up on the screen here, and it goes through, these are the seven stages of an organization and a team. And as I looked at this, as we were sitting there that day and we're discussing, you know, where our church plants were or where our organizations and teams were, I looked at this and I thought, this is actually a graph for every relationship. 
This actually describes the life cycle of every relationship. It was absolutely fascinating to me because at the very top is you have predictable success. This is where everybody in work wants to be. At work, for example, predictable success is where you're using all of your gifts. You're getting paid what you think you're worth. You love that you get to work at home or you get to work in your office. You love the people you're working with. It's just kind of like you go and you think, I can't believe I get paid to do this. Like it's that kind of a job. It's just easy. Now, some of us are there in our work, but some of us aren't. Predictable success in relationships is when you're like, the other person can complete my sentences. They know exactly what I'm thinking before I even think it. They even know what I'm thinking before I know I'm thinking it. Right? They're a friend who just always knows exactly when to send an encouraging text, and you just think, how did they know that I needed to hear that? How did they know? How did they know that my, that my son was just being an idiot, and I knew I needed a text in this moment? How did they know? Like, that's what predictable success is. And it's why we enter every relationship. We enter every relationship to have another person who can complete our sentences. We enter friendships so we have another person to be with, so we just feel love, and this is predictable success. But the thing is, we very rarely spend most of our relational lives in predictable success. We spend most of our relational lives in the other stages. The problem is we just don't know which stage we're in. Now, here's what I want you to think. We're going to go through these. I'm going to talk about them from marriage and friendship perspective. I want you to have in mind a couple of people, a couple of really important relationships, okay? If you're married, this should be your spouse, maybe a child, a friend, uh, somebody you're dating, um, a parent, in-law, whatever it is. It, it, you could think it from the perspective of what is your most stressful relationship right now? But the early struggle is when you just meet somebody, right? This is the dating time. This is when you first get married and you're trying to figure out, okay, like, how are we going to do the toothpaste? Do we, is it from the middle? Is it from the bottom? Like, how do we put the toilet paper roll on? Like, how does that happen? Like, this is the early struggle of marriage. Like, for friendships, this is one of the things Katie and I have experienced when moving here, is we've, we're meeting people, and this is kind of, like, in our minds, we're going, okay, so are we going to be friends or not? Like, is this like, how much time do you want to put into this? How much time do I want to put into this? Like, you, you, you meet somebody and you think, when this soccer season ends, will we still be friends? Like, that's the early struggle of friendships. Like, when you go to a new school or you're meeting somebody and you think, okay, like, if I stop, you know, doing basketball, will we still be friends together? Now, you never verbalize this. Like, you never say this to people. You never look at them and be like, I just don't know that this is going to last, but, like, we can, you know, see if you want to hang out. Like, we never say that to people. But this is the early struggle. You meet somebody new at work and you think, Okay, we'll see. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's another pandemic coming and we may not get to work together anymore. I don't know. Like, that's the early struggle. And slowly, you start to kind of hit your rhythm. You're clicking as friendships. You start to have some things in common. So you start to do some fun things together. It starts to get fun. You start to go, oh, man, we like to camp together. Neither one of us likes really good coffee, so we go to Dunkin' together. And so, like, we're having fun together. It's true. So we're having fun together right? You're finding, oh, we like to play sports together. We're doing all these things. So you're starting to have fun. Now, if you notice, here's what happens in marriage. You're starting to have fun. You're taking trips. You're having cookouts with friends, right? It's very romantic and affectionate. Like you're in this stage in marriage where you're having sex in every room. And it's like, and you know, and here's the thing. And fun, fun is when you have kids. If you know, the fun is like, if, you, if you're married, you look back on your marriage, that's when you had kids. When it was like the funnest part of your marriage, that's when you all of a sudden are like, oh, we're pregnant. Why? Because it's been fun. And then what happens? Whitewater happens. Drowning happens. Complexity happens. In friendships, this is when 
all of a sudden you start to realize this person is getting a little close and starting to learn some things about me that I wasn't sure I was actually going to share with anybody. And, and this is one of the reasons that we pull back from friendships. We start to go, well, they're getting pretty close now. I don't know that I'm ready to be vulnerable yet. For couples, it starts to get really complicated and complex. Now there's some more bills, there's a mortgage, there's debt, your body's changing, you're getting older. And what do couples say? Do you remember when we had fun? Do you remember? See, if you've ever said that to somebody or ever thought that, you're in whitewater. Do you remember when we used to hang out and we didn't talk about deep things? Do you remember like when we were just kind of surfacey level friends? Could we do that again? Now we don't say that, but that's what's running through our mind. We're starting to get uncomfortable and we're in white water. And so this is what a married couple will do. We should take a trip. Let's go do something fun. Do you remember when we did fun? Remember when we just left and like we didn't have any responsibilities? Do you remember when we just, we could just pick up and go? And now we, now we have toddlers and, and, and bills and diapers, and, and it's whitewater. Or a couple will say, I've heard this before. We should have a kid. That'll fix it. See, because in whitewater, what we're looking for is how do we just get out of drowning? How do we get out of the complexity? Because we're also getting to the place where we're having to face some things about us that you don't have to face in fun. And in the early struggle, you don't have to face those things about yourself because you're just facing them about the other person. They're the problem, right? If they would just clean up after themselves in the bathroom and just pick up their dirty clothes, that would be fine. But all of a sudden, whitewater is when you start to see that maybe you're the biggest sinner in the relationship. And that's not a place we really like to be. I really like it when the other person's the problem. And at this moment, we have two options. We can end relationships, or we can dig in to relationships and dig into our stories in this moment. And this is why, especially in friendships, if you look at your friendships, very few of us have people that we have gone to deep places in our story with. Very few people get close enough to know us. See, and when you do, when you get to that place, that's when you're able to say, they know exactly what I'm thinking before I think it. They know exactly what I need. Why? Because that's predictable success. That's a healthy place. That's a healthy relationship. That's a healthy friendship. That's a place where you have moved closer to the other person and they have moved closer to you. That's a place where you have bared your soul to somebody and they didn't run. And that's predictable success. Now, here's what happens. It's very hard to stay there because the things that get us into predictable success aren't always the things that keep us there because slowly we get comfortable. Things are just happening. And if we're not careful, we simply move into treadmill. A treadmill is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a monotonous ride. You don't see anything new. You can go at any speed you want. This is when life is just happening. Have you ever had this season where you just kind of look back and you go, 
I don't even know like what we've done in the last couple of weeks. It just feels like life has just happened. Like I don't remember the last time that like we had a date night. I don't remember the last time that I actually had a deep conversation with somebody. I don't even remember when was the last time we even hung out and like had dinner together. When was the last time we had like a game night and just had fun together? When was the last time we even like did a hike or have a hobby? It's just treadmill. And the thing is, is that many of us find our relationships, our most important relationships can stay in treadmill for a long time. And we just keep going. And slowly as we keep going, if you think of a car that just keeps spinning its wheels, what happens? You end up in a rut. Now the thing about this side of the life cycle of the treadmill, the big rut, and the death rattle. Many times in relationships, we think if any of our relationships are in these stages, that's just it. They're over. But the reality is, is that a relationship never needs to end in one of these stages. It just means something drastic or different might need to happen. And the thing is, is you can stay on treadmill, you can stay in the big rut in your relationships for a very long time. You can spin your wheels in a car and just get deeper in the mud. You, you can stay in these places. But what's interesting is that for many of us in our most important relationships, it isn't until we hit the big rut that we see something, that we look for something. Or we think, oh, we should, we should go to counseling, we should work on this. Now, here's the thing. If you were to ask some of your closest friends to evaluate your relationship they would be able to tell you where it is better than you could, I bet. Because here's the thing. You can think right now, like as soon as I said treadmill, if you, if you have a friend in treadmill, you, you thought of them. Oh, I know exactly where their marriage is. They're for sure in the big rut. And this is why community is so important. This is why friendships are so important to say, hey, I don't know if you see this, but like you keep like saying the exact same thing about your spouse. Like you keep saying the same thing about your kid. Like are you, are you doing anything about that? And here's, here's what that friend is saying. Are we going to jump from whitewater to predictable success and go deep together? Here's how some of us will respond to that. Well, it's not that bad. It's not a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, like, or we get defensive about it. We'll, we'll try to, like, push it off and push them away. Or maybe we'll say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to join a different small group. My, my schedule changed. It was just really surprising. It just happened that way. Why? Because they're getting a little bit too close. Getting a little bit too close. I remember one time I had a, we were sitting in a small group, and um, I, I was in a group with two other guys. It was just a kind of smaller accountability group. And we were doing our prayer request, and I shared it, and the one guy looked at me. He's like, Josh, he's like, so, he's like, I'm totally fine to, like, keep praying for that, but, like, that's been your prayer request for eight months, so, like, when are you going to talk to that person? I'll be honest, my first thought was to get up and leave. And then my second thought was, well, who do you think you are? Like, should we evaluate your prayer request? I got really defensive, and, and but then, just by God's grace, the Holy Spirit was just like, you really do need to do something about that. Like, see, but that's what happens in treadmill and the big rut. 
We just go through the motions. And slowly we get to this place, especially if you're married, you get to this place where, where you're just roommates living in the same house. Where you're just kind of passing each other in the night. See, and here's the thing. To get to predictable success in our relational lives, no matter what relationship it is, requires a number of things, but one of the main things, one of the keys to a relationship that lasts and is healthy is intentionality. Is intentionality. One of the keys to a relationship that is healthy and lasts is intentionality. Now, here's how I want us to end. And, and you'll notice on your Connect card that there's a word on there that says intentional. And if you're in a place where you say, you know what, I want to I be more intentional in my most important relationships, then I want to challenge you to check that box because we're going to send to you just a few things that keep you from being intentional and how to be intentional. Because here's the thing, we're intentional about a whole bunch of stuff. Like some of you are, you know, made time today to make sure you already did your wordle. Like you, you didn't even get out of bed before you did wordle and quirtle and statal and hurdle and everything else. Like you, you're, you're all done. That's intentional. You're intentional about it. I know, you, you, you know, some you're going... A couple of you are like looking at somebody going, she's talking about you. Like, we're intentional about all kinds of stuff, hobbies and stuff. But many of us are not intentional about our most important relationships. If you're a parent, it takes being intentional, being there, being present. And that's hard. That's hard because there's moments as parents, a lot of moments as parents, you're just like, I just want to go shut the door and lay down. And sometimes it's okay to do that. In our friendships, some of us right now, you have friendships that, and I want to pull this graphic back up because I want, we're going to spend a minute just kind of processing this as, as we close. But some of us are in friendships where you have a friend in your life that is trying to go deeper with you, and you're running. Because you're not sure if you open up to them and let somebody enter into your story, you're not sure if they'll stay. And some of us need to take a chance in some relationships and say, let's see what's on the other side of whitewater. Let's see what happens. Let's see what's on the other side of discomfort. Because in whitewater, I don't know if you've ever been whitewater rafting, the rapids don't last forever. They do end. But there is seasons where we are taking on water. And so here's, what I, here's how I want us to close. Here's how I want us to process this before we sing this last song. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about your most important relationships and honestly evaluate where they are, where they are, and what is the step that the Holy Spirit is inviting you into to take to move it to a healthy place that lasts? What's the intentional step? It doesn't need to be a long list of things. What's one thing for you as we end this series to say, this is one thing the Holy Spirit is putting on me to do that's calling me to do right now? to take this step, to get out of whitewater or out of treadmill or whatever it is? What's one thing? So I encourage you, just take a moment of silence here in the room or at home. One thing, to be more intentional. Where are you in your most important relationships? And then Chris and the team will lead us in a last song.